All right, we're live. Uh, welcome to season one, episode one of In Case You Forgot. This is the video pod. I'm your host. I'm Jonathan Kogan. We're going to do video clips, audio clips of everything that's important today, anything from the news, anything from sports, anything from Web3, the creator economy, ownership economy. That's what I refer to it as. Anything that you may have forgot or probably may have missed because you're working and stuff. We're going to recap all of it. We're going to share the information. We're going to share the misinformation. If you're sensitive to any type of information, disinformation, misinformation, information, but the, the information spelled back or whatever, then don't watch it because we're just going to tell the truth. That's a promise that we're going to make to you guys. And that's it. This is our truth, our opinions. So don't take this as, don't take anything we say on this thing as fact, as the objective truth. We're going to do everything we can to provide that, but we know the internet's super super fucking sensitive nowadays. So um, we're just going to put a disclaimer on this. It says, if you're sensitive to misinformation, even we could talk, we're going to talk about that word later. Turn it off. All right. You don't need to watch it if you don't want, but it's going to be fucking good. All right, here we go. Oh, we swear a little bit too, uh, as well. Uh, we're raw. We're unfiltered. We're real. Uh, again, I'm your host, Jonathan Kogan. I want to thank Capo, our producer, who's going to edit this video and pod to distribute. And um, yeah, this is also going to be a documentation of hopefully going from zero subscribers to a thousand. We have a thesis. If you create content distributed every day, that if you have even a little bit of talent, just by putting out that much volume, even if it's somewhat good, you can get the Kevin Kelly 1000 True Fans, which is an awesome essay if you haven't read it. And Legion, uh, who is a partner at Variant Fund uh, with Jesse Walden, a uh, spectacular group of investors uh, for the ownership economy, creator economy, you might know it as, uh, actually says you only need 100 True Fans. Look up her article too. She's fantastic. Uh, so is he. Uh, they all are. All right. So let's get to it. So first thing on the docket we have today, the GOAT. The greatest of all time, Tom Brady, retires. You know, it's interesting. I I was listening to, and I'll play a clip here in a second, of uh, Pat McAfee, who I don't know if you guys have watched his show, but like I think it was a month or two ago, uh, he got a $120 million deal with FanDuel, which was, it's crazy because Barstool offered, like Pat McAfee, uh, part of my take, uh, which is, I think, even bigger of an audience for a package deal of like $100 million to maybe it was FanDuel. And they were like, no, no, no. And that was a little while back, like way too expensive. And look, it set the market and then boom, they paid McAfee $120 million. I love him. I think he's great. You'll see the clip in a second. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, literally the greatest quarterback that has ever walked the earth. Uh, the only quarterback that in I mean, I swear, maybe there's one or two. You never lost a playoff game because of Tom Brady. Never. I mean, even this past year, they're down, what, 21 to three or something like that. And he comes back and ties it. Then their defense like gives it up and that's how they lose. That's how Tom Brady, that's how they lose. It's never because like Tom Brady throws the pick. Yes, I know it happened. But honestly, in the biggest games, you only remember Tom coming back. It's insane. So, um, uh, I want to play this clip. Uh, it's about two minutes, 14 seconds of uh, McAfee uh, uh, talking about Tom Brady. And I'm going to speak to it after because um, I don't know if I agree with all of it. 
but uh, let's, uh, and again, this is the first pod. We're getting used to the audio and all that stuff. So if anything's messed up, apologies, it'll get better. Stick with us. We'll do it. We're doing it for you. All right, so let's do this. Um, here we go. And today is a monumental day. It is a day that will be chatted about forever in the annals of sports history. The greatest champion of all time. The greatest athlete of all time. The greatest winner of all time. The greatest football player of all time has officially retired. Uh, this is obviously something that the world had been anticipating over the last few days since old Shefty in Darlington kind of cocked Tom Brady out of his own retirement is how a lot of people on the internet are taking this. But in an eight-page screenshot note section announcement, Tom Brady thanked basically everybody in Tampa Bay. He thanked all of his teammates. He thanked all of his coaches and talked about he no longer wants to go all in on the competitive side of things. I think a, a big conversation about Tom Brady is he's the greatest competitor of all time because his competitive stamina has remained so high in a sport that is so grueling for so long when he had accomplished everything you could have ever fathomed or wanted to accomplish long ago, he continued to play, reinvented himself in a new city, won a Super Bowl down there, started businesses, started opening up to people, and we all got a chance to see late in his career why the greatness from very early on in his career had happened and been able to happen for so damn long. His competitive stamina is something that will be chatted about by a lot of people, and he directly referred to in his retirement. Says he has a lot of other things he wants to go on to do, and there's still people holding out hope that this isn't a retirement, although he did say his days in the NFL are now behind him, and he said it's taken him a little bit to get to this point. But whenever you look at all of these stats and all of the ownership records that this dude has in the biggest league, in the biggest time on the entire planet, 60 million people were watching the AFC Championship the other day at its peak. Damn. 58 million people were watching the NFC Championship at its peak on Sunday night. The NFL is by far in its biggest boom of all time. And the records that are held by the quarterback position and basically all facets of success in the NFL are by one Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. 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 So that's Pat McCaffrey. That was on his show. It's from YouTube. Uh, that clip. Um, Tom Brady. They they're showing the they're showing all the stats or like records that he holds, right? And he says that none of these records are going to be beaten. But I'm going to get to a, a stat that I saw over the weekend when when Mahomes was playing that I was shocked to see. But here we just hear some of these. Ready? Most pass yards ever. Most pass TDs ever. Most completions ever. Most playoff pass yards ever. Most playoff TDs. Most playoff pass TDs ever. Most playoff pass completions ever. Most wins ever. Most playoff wins ever. I mean, he's got everything. But the one stat that I couldn't believe was um, Tom Brady. It was something like most. I think it was most postseason. Uh, uh, most postseason pass. Uh, most postseason pass touchdowns ever with twenty-one in fourteen games. It, or, or AFC championships. Uh, in 14 of them, uh, he threw 21. And the crazy thing is I saw Mahomes, who I think is 25 or 26, um, had, I think, nine, it was, I think, nine past TDs in his, what, like six eight, or three AFC championships or something or 
four, whatever it is. And I'm like, holy shit, he's going to, he's definitely going to pass Brady probably if he can keep making the game. I mean, and he probably will. He's amazing. He's only 26. I mean, if he plays another 14 years, you know, I, I think he could beat that, but I guess it's a little far away. But we just wanted to pay homage to the greatest of all time, Tom Brady. Uh, I loved back in the day, at least when I was growing up, everyone, uh, like everyone, uh, so many people would say, oh, who's better, Tom Brady or, or Peyton Manning or Drew Brees? It's like Tom Brady, Tom Brady. Oh, but if Peyton Manning had his defense, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes to uh, the um, the Buccaneers and, and wins it in his first year. And then really could have won it this year if his defense didn't screw up in the playoffs. So Tom Brady, we know Shefty uh, broke the news and, and ruined his retirement. Um just an amazing player to watch. I hope we get to see someone like him again. Um, but I, I don't know if we ever will, honestly. I mean, the guy's just a winner. So um, I just wanted to play that. Uh, and, uh, you know, play, you know, if you're a football fan or even just a fan of greatness, you just got to tip your hat to the GOAT. So Tom Brady, huge fan. We all fucking hate him. He beat everybody. But if he was on the Browns, he would have been the man. So also keeping it light, uh, I wanted to play. Uh, so Joe Burrow, one of the most uh, impressive young guns in the league for sure. I mean, if you watch that Bengals game, it was Bengals uh, at the Chiefs. And actually the Bengals played them in week 17 and beat them, came back and beat them. And then this weekend, it was it was unbelievable to watch. I mean... I, I'll admit, I said, I think that the score I said was going to be 41-28 or something like that, uh, uh, Kansas City. And the fact that the Bengals won and that literally it felt like Patrick Mahomes was trying to give away the game, if you watched it, it very much felt like that, um, was amazing. Because the Bengals are definitely the ugliest team in the world in terms of like their jerseys and just how disgusting their name is. Uh, and just like, you know, they're not, we're not used to seeing them in anything. Uh, it was awesome to see. So I think everybody who's a fan of football is rooting for, it, at least is happy that the Bengals made it. I mean, I'm real happy. I'm a Cleveland Browns fan, AFC North. I want the Bengals to win. Then we could say, hey, we lost because we lost the Super Bowl champions. Like, it's not our fault. Um, we're getting better. Maybe we're really, really good. They're just amazing. But Joe Burrow, man, he, uh, after the game, he uh, he got a speech or he gave up, he, they were giving out game balls, and then he gave an awesome speech. Uh, it's about a minute long uh, from the coach uh, from the Cincinnati Bengals. So here, take a listen. Listen to this. Here he is. Here he is. Who day? 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 Who day?
awesome is that? Oh man, stop sharing that. So that was Joe Burrow, quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, receiving the game ball from his head coach, uh, Zach Taylor, who is from the same tree as Josh McDaniels, as LaFleur in, in Green Bay, as Kyle Shanahan from uh, from uh, 49ers. All these guys would have the same minds. It's unbelievable. Uh, I think McVay's like 36. Uh, Kyle Shanahan's an amazing coach. Uh, his dad was a pretty good coach, too. Won a Super Bowl super early. Two Super Bowls back-to-back, Denver Broncos. And I believe 97, 98. And... Um, that was that really gave him like a like a decade with the Broncos that basically allowed him to kind of like have all these bad years. But they always had good one cut runners. But McVeigh's is boy wonder amazing. But man, Zach Taylor's from that tree, and and Burrow is just you know I think tore his what Achilles or ACL last year, and now <laughs> is unstoppable in the postseason. They won two games without him, and they've won what three in the playoffs this year. Un unbelievable. So. Man, super happy for the Bengals. You know, I'm not a fan, but uh, I'm rooting for you. And it's good to see a team that's so odd to be in the Super Bowl to be there. So if you're if you're a Cincinnati fan, let's do it. Who day? All right. So obviously, this is the hot topic. Um, COVID. I am so honestly sick and tired of people trying to normalize COVID, normalize mask wearing. So one of my good friends, Ron, um, is a moron. He's really, uh, he's uh, dumb. Uh, some may say he could be handicapped in the brain, um, but he's he, he believes with all his heart that... Um, Big Pharma, the government, the Sackler family uh, is here to protect him and uh, make sure that he's warm and cozy inside. What he doesn't understand is that uh, they don't care about anybody. They, they, This isn't a health issue. This is a power issue. I wrote it in my Substack post. That's like people of any race, any gender, anything are afraid to speak up for freedom. and. What's mind-blowing is, is that it's like, okay, this is all misinformation. And here's the problem I have with misinformation is the word was created to protect the uh, Soviets, so the Soviet Union, the Russians back in the day, to discredit information that was different from the agenda of the state or of the government. That's what it was. It wasn't to protect against lies or things like that. It was to do, if it was against our agenda, it's misinformation. That is literally where the word came from. And we are using it like it's normal, like get this off of here because of misinformation. Remove this because it's misinformation. Or my favorite, this is one thing that Ron says is, oh, you know what? You're a horrible person. You're going places and, and you're not, and if you're not vaccinated, then you're killing people. But it's known that it doesn't prevent, you know, uh, infection or spread spreading the disease. Like all this stuff are facts. And the fact, it's just mind-blowing to me. It's just mind-blowing and it's frustrating. But I'm here to say I don't care if you're vaccinated, if it's unknown, if you're 
white, if you're black, if you're male, if you're female, if you're tall, if you're short, I do not care. You are a human. I am a human. We are on the same team and you have the right to do what you want. If you are scared, and this is actually one of my favorites too, and I'll play the clip in a second, which sounds just so accurate, honestly. Um, is a, it's, a, it's a great show. It's a Hulu clip uh, from Dope Sick, um, which uh, we're tr- Ron believes that the same people who created the pretty much the opioid epidemic with the miracle drug, the miracle drug of Oxycontin, which is not addictive, just like the vaccine is 100% safe, even though we have no long-term studies. I'm not saying to not get the vaccine at all or to do what you want. I'm saying to think for yourself. And honestly, we'll get to it after this. It's amazing to see what's going on in Canada, which he's very much against because he's very much like uh, Trudeau, which is like, I will not associate with people who have a different opinion than me. That's fucking scary. That's scary to me. But hey, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to tell you to, I'm not here to tell you anything. Make your up in your own mind, do your own research. Whatever conclusion you get to is what you get to. I personally don't think the government cares about my health or me being alive. I don't think big pharma cares. In fact, the goal of a business, the purpose of a business is to maximize the returns to their investors, to return the the most amount of money possible to your investors. That is the point and the goal of a business. It is. I mean, like it or not, that's what it is. And those are the people that are fighting so hard to discredit some information, to push up. It's just something to question. And if someone says that, you know what, this is 100% false and then removes people for saying stuff, that's when you should think like, Maybe I should look into it a little bit more. That's weird that they want to take down opposing views or block opposing views. Listen, I know a lot of people may disagree with me, but I make decisions based on getting all of the data that I possibly can, doing all the research I can, talking to all the people that I trust or that I believe is credible, and making the best possible decision for my life. I personally do not like people making decisions for me, for my life. That's all. I want to make my own decisions. I enjoy that. And that's never going to change. That's never going to change. And it's all right. So like I was saying, there's this clip from dope sick that I think is phenomenal. And I am am not saying that, that this is (laughs) I'm just saying to think of this is the same group of people, these same companies that did what you're (laughs) that would do what you're about to see or hear, depending on where you're if you're watching on YouTube or or whatever, if you're listening on Spotify. The same, these are the same companies that are telling you, no, do not question it. 100 percent safe. If you question it, we will suffocate your voice. We will suppress it until you do not feel safe speaking. It just raises my eyebrows. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just like, shit, make your own decision, you know? I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. So here, check this out. Listen to this clip. Uh, and uh, and if you're watching, it's awesome. And by the way, I'm not done with this series, but it's phenomenal. Uh, 
it just sounds accurate to me. So here. Give me one second. You will be part of the largest sales force in. Here we go. Pharmaceutical history, bringing this new miracle drug all across this great nation. See, doctors want pain relief for their patients. They just don't want to get them addicted. So your first talking point is also what makes it so special. Less than 1% of people become addicted to Oxycontin. It's amazing, right? Now all your doctors are going to be asking you, the same thing. How? How is this even possible? Now, the answer lies in the MS Compton time release system. This system limits the flow of oxycodone over a 12 hour period, which not only makes it essentially non addictive, it also discourages abusers because they cannot get a quick high off of it. Um, if it's non addictive, doesn't that mean it can be used to treat like, almost anything? That's exactly right backaches, toothaches, uh, headaches, joint discomfort, arthritis, hangovers. The possibilities are endless. Now, our initial rollout will be focused on southwestern Virginia, eastern Kentucky, and rural Maine. And do you know why? Anyone? Um, they're mining, farming, logging centers, uh, places where folks get injured doing labor-intensive jobs. Correct. These people are in pain. They have hard lives and we have the cure. So we are sending you all. <laughs> How sick is that? And we have the cure. Isn't that similar to what you're hearing now? Hey, there's all this bad shit going on that we cannot control. And it's chaos. But don't worry. We have the cure. We have a miracle drug. We have something that can't hurt anybody. Don't question it. Do not question it. It will addict only less than 1% of people. In fact, we got a special label from the FDA that says it's non-addictive. It's a miracle drug. I think we all know what happened. All I ask is, is it possible? Is it possible, Ron, that they're pulled, that someone who lies, lies twice? Is it possible that someone who commits a crime bribing doctors would maybe commit another crime? Ron, do you think that the Sackler family really cares about your health more than anything in the world and they'll do anything to protect you? Do you? It blows my mind. Now, it's like a mockumentary, which that dope sick, which is, by the way, probably the best format for, I love that, that movie style, if that's the way to say it. Um, and the fact that I have a friend every day that talks to me about how evil of a person and how much of a murderer I am or other people are because 
we're not following the status quo or, or because we're questioning things and that we should be silenced. That scares me. That really scares me. And it doesn't need to scare you, but it scares me. So all I'm saying is, is it possible that someone who does something bad one time can do something bad in the future? Maybe, maybe not. It's a sensitive topic. I implore you to do your own research and do what you want. But do you really think government and big pharma is out and making sure they protect your health? No, their goal is to maximize their return. The government's goal is to be annoying. I don't know what their goal is. They're just there to be inefficient and make things complicated, which is like the opposite of, of helping, right? What do they say? Is uh, 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 complications the opposite of execution? It's exactly what they do. It's sick. So you're allowed to believe whatever you want to believe. I just think it would be crazy to not think of, is there a probability associated with should I question the narrative? I put a probability to that. If you don't, that's fine. I just want people to accept everybody for who they are, for having their own beliefs that may be different from you, that have their own opinions that may be different from you, that may be the same. It does not matter. Everybody on this earth is a team human participant. We're on the same fucking team. Can we all love each other? Or are these institutions possibly worried that if we all love each other and come together, that we would find out, oh my God, the cure is that we all come together as a society and love one another and accept one another for who we are. And we're going to turn on them. Oh, no, no, no. We need to isolate everybody so they can't do that because then we would be at risk. We'd be at real risk. Ron. My friend, you're an idiot. I love you, though, but you're an idiot. Something beautiful to see, though, speaking about this topic, is what's going on in Ottawa. So if you haven't been following it, there's a Freedom Convoy going on in Ottawa, which is truckers spanning 50 miles long. 50 miles long of trucks. I think it's 16,000 drivers or something. Millions of people there. No violence, except uh, I think there was one person and, and some reports are saying that person was like planted there to try and make them look bad. I don't know what to believe there, but what, no violence. Everyone's happy. Everyone's cheering each other on. But what you hear in the news is these people are the worst. The worst. They were essential workers that saved, saved everyone during the pandemic in terms of getting their groceries, getting their packages, getting anything in the supply chain. They're the truckers. And to not praise them for fighting just for freedom. They're fighting for freedom. They're not even fighting for these like crazy things that are being demanded by the governments all over the world. They're just saying, hey, let me choose for myself. Let me choose for myself. Don't force me to put anything into my body. Because, which is ironic too, because the people who are saying my body, my choice, you know, in terms of like pro-life or pro-choice, which is a long debate. You could be on either side. My body, my choice are the same people saying your body, my choice. 
They're essentially saying your body, my choice with what's going on with this stuff. It's your body, but it's my choice that you put this in, in your system. Now, this isn't an anti-vax thing. This isn't even a vax thing. I am so sick of that fucking word and that narrative. I don't even care. I just think you should dictate what goes in your body, when it goes in your body, and that it's your choice. That's it. Is that so bad? So there's a, if you're listening to this, um, I'll just explain it. But if you're watching, you'll see in a second the clip. It's just a, uh, a drone view of what's going on in Ottawa and how many trucks, 50 miles worth of trucks really means. Uh, it's a beautiful sight to see because people there are literally, they're doing the protesting. You know, the, it, it's not the same topic of, of what I'm about to say, but it's in the same format, nonviolence, which is MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, which I think everybody has the utmost respect and praise for. I mean, did something that was way long overdue and changed the world without violence for the better. It was amazing. Think about that. What he got done without any violence is incredible. It's incredible. But to not be able to question, hey, you're the government trying to force me to do this or to do that, to not be able to question it is scary. So this is a really, really... Uh, um, just neat video. Uh, there's no, uh, there's just, it's just a little bit of a video that uh, there's no like sound or anything like that. Um, of all of how many trucks is 50,000 trucks. So check this out. Is that crazy or what? So there's, literally three lanes of tr four lanes there's one lane being used but there's four lanes of trucks on this road that are bumper to bumper three lanes so three trucks next to each other and then behind each truck is bumper to bumper another semi truck and you see on both sides of the street so you can't really drive you have to like drive on the shoulder they're just parked there and these monsters trucks are just covering the most ridiculous amount of space and like you clearly can't drive on this road <laughs> i mean i don't know what they're gonna do I, I think you have to you have to eliminate that mandate if they're not willing to leave i mean it's really cool to see though i mean we should be inspired in the u.s i think in other areas in the world it's very very cool very cool i think that was really neat i just wanted to share that i thought that was cool um, so I don't know, man, I'm, I'm just scared that people aren't kind of thinking for themselves. Again, I don't care what your choice is and what it isn't. It's more of, are you allowed to make the choice or not? In my opinion, you're allowed to make the choice in Ron's opinion. Like I said earlier, it's his choice. It's Fauci's choice. It's Biden's choice. It's Trudeau's choice. And it's the Sackler family's choice. So whatever the Sackler family, the creators of the wonder drug, Oxycontin, which helps so many lives and saved so many people from addiction because it's not addictive. 
are telling you that it's their choice and we should trust them. We should trust them. All right, enough with that topic. We got to get on to important stuff. And what's important right now is was Jersey Shore scripted or was it not scripted? Uh, so on Full Send Podcast uh, on on, uh, <laughs> on YouTube, they had Pauly D uh, from Jersey Shore, if you remember, with Mike the Situation, Pauly D. I mean, talk about a show that was like a cultural phenomenon, phenomenon, <laughs> right? Phenomenon, I think. I mean, it just ripped through culture. Like, I watched it all. This was 11 years ago. And um, I think almost everybody watched it. I mean, just like, what was it? GTL, Jim Tan, Jim Tan Laundry. Like just things that just became like acronyms or, you know, sayings from that show. I mean, just amazing. And I've always wondered just with like real world stuff. I've always bet that it's not scripted at all. Just completely raw. And that's what I thought it would be. But uh, you'll hear here in a second that that is how how uh, how it was. But it had it, you know the formats changed since then. Um, so they asked Pauly D if it was scripted and the format of it, and his answer is just amazing. So here, take a listen. You can come back, but is it scripted? Like it produces like being like, hey, go and try and fuck Snooky or no, no, no. That that's a good question too because like the yeah, art. Yeah, this guy wants to fuck I don't Snooki. know anything. No, no, no. I like that. I don't fucking know. I'm sorry. I don't. I want. I don't want to show up. I, I want to tell you exactly how it happened. So, good job. You prepare. We, we get to the house, right? We didn't know what to do. Uh, there's no script. They don't tell us what to do. Or what well, there are things that we can't. And sometimes you're like, like There's places we can go to that allow the camera. So they give you a book. They're like, all right, this is everything you can do, and then we just do whatever we want to do because really? you can't do it alone. So in other words, if I want to go to the board, isn't this hair just amazing? That's the only thing, but there's no script. They don't tell us what to do. They don't, but, and even now it's like, they film it sort of like housewife style. There's no script, but they're like, all right, call Vinny right now and ask him how he feels about whatever. Right. Like, but there's no script. We never really had a script. Just, just a book of things we're allowed to do. Right. Can you take right? anything out or no? Was that like, if there was something you didn't like, could you take it out or no? No. Ah, oh, it's so crazy, bro. So you we, couldn't we do that. We basically gave them You'd be fucked there, buddy. Soul, 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 <laughs> not like the Kardashians where they can look and be like, no, nah, no, nah, I look bad here. No, no, no. If you look like shit, they want that. They want we you. should produce like a reality show or some shit. <laughs> the Kardashians get to take it out, but if you're Jersey Shore, you sold it all, <laughs> and it's free reign. So when they they that's on the um uh the full send podcast uh that was the video of it um so you can listen to that or or find it on on YouTube. But what's amazing is is um it's a great podcast by the way. Again, full send podcast. Uh, it's from January 26th of this year. Um, the amazing part is, is that for some reason, this dude <laughs> on the show is obsessed with like the girls and, and everything being filmed. And I guess the cameras were on 24-7. Paulie got on the show by actually just having a MySpace picture where he had his arms folded like this and he had an Italian flag behind him. He has tats out and he was like this with his hair up, you know, like that. And they just DM'd him on, on MySpace. He thought it was all a joke and then ended up turning into a role for the thing. They all agreed to go to Jersey Shore for one month, for 30 days. For no money, for nothing, with, with cameras. And then it blew up. And um, 
the the crazy part is, is that the cameras are on 24 7 where they can hear there was like a joystick on the ones in like the corner in the rooms you know like when they show on like real world or jersey shore when they're like with someone you know guy with a girl girl whoever and they put the sheet over them they just show oh and you know what happened well that's what we saw on tv but what paulie was saying was everything that happened is on a tape somewhere so he said there's hundreds of sex tapes that are somewhere hundreds so he's wondering that if that leaks what's gonna happen i mean there's literally they have they have videos of every single person on jersey Shore, four guys four girls like fucking hundreds of people they were slaying people night after night both guys and girls there's a camera there they didn't have the sheet over them the whole time they were doing crazy stuff and uh it's all recorded locked up in a vault somewhere with ntv is it gonna leak i don't know i mean i i hope not but he was saying he was laughing he's like i don't care we always talk about that what if it leaks it's just crazy that somewhere in mtv's archives <laughs> there's sex tapes of the Jersey Shore people just slaying people night after night from the bars. Oh man, it reminds me of our producer Capo at, at Ohio State just slaying and baking. Oh my god, what a beast! So that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. It wasn't scripted. He was saying it wasn't scripted. Now, the way it's set up, it's still not scripted, but they'll say now they didn't before when we watched it. If you watch now, what they do is like what he said, which is like, hey, uh, they'll say like, hey, Paul, I call Mike and, and ask him about this. And then it's raw. But they give him like that pointer. So obviously it's not as as cool, but uh, but it's still raw. But when we saw it, it was 100 percent raw. No script. So believe it or not. That's the truth. Moving on. NFTs. NFTs. What are NFTs? non-fungible tokens are you a crypto bro web3 are you interested in in open and minting nfts i mean i don't know paulie actually talks about in that speaking about uh paulie d they say a lot of people hit me what are his dms saying it's all girls like nude pics and stuff and then people ask him to do nfts and he thought it was going to go away and now he's like now i gotta look into figuring out because it's definitely not going away so to the point of it not going away Here's Zach Humphreys, um, who's on uh, on YouTube, um, sharing what came out today with OpenSea and how much revenue they did and kind of where they stand relative to the next year. It's going to blow your mind. Take a guess right now. For January 2021, or sorry, January 2022, this past month, 31 days, what what do you think they did in revenue? Take a guess. What did OpenSea, OpenSea, okay, is the largest marketplace, all right, for NFTs. It's the largest marketplace to buy and sell NFTs. And if you don't know what an NFT is, it's a non-fungible token, which means that you can verify of a digital good, like a JPEG, um, a, a tweet, anything, that you can underwrite it on the blockchain that you are the owner of that and it cannot be refuted. So 
think about this in the future. You go to a concert and the QR, the tickets are, are NFTs and some of the NFTs have backstage passes and it's just a QR code and you own that. But everything's going to be an NFT. People are going to be married on the blockchain. There's going to be a, a marriage certificate. An NFT, think about it like a smart contract almost, which is a way to verify that something happened on a public ledger that cannot be denied. So it is a contract, just like a, a marriage license. Unbelievable. So again, NFTs. On There's tons of places. There's Coinbase. There's a lot of places to get NFTs. OpenSea just happens to be the largest marketplace. So for the largest marketplace, not all of NFTs, just the largest marketplace, how much do you think they did in revenue in January? Take a guess. So again, here's Zach Humphreys telling you exactly, you know, what happened, how much they did and uh, kind of where we're at. Uh, it's, it's really amazing. If you're, if you're interested in Web3, this is about to blow your mind if you haven't seen this. It's crazy. Jump in. It's record $5 billion in monthly sales as Ethereum NFT market swells. It's $5 billion. Another one to keep your eye out there for. Uh, the floor price there in the 20s, 20 ETH or so. The board API, uh, their floor price right now is like 118 ETH, which is absolutely crazy. Uh, leading NFT marketplace OpenSea generated more than $5 billion in total trading volume in January between Ethereum and Polygon sales, breaking the previous record, monthly record, that is, set back in August 2021. So everybody who thought 2021 was just a flash in the pan, well, not so much, at least here to start 2022. Now, if we take a look at some of the public blockchain data collected by Dune Analytics, this shows that OpenSea has more than 4.95 billion of Ethereum trading volume in January, plus over 79 million on Polygon, a sidechain scaling solution for ETH. Both are single month records for each respective platform. Now, on the other how crazy is that? So January of 2022 just happened was the, and we all know there's a lot of people without, uh, without jobs and, and all that stuff. They did $5 billion in the month of January in trade volume, 5 billion. It's the highest since August, 2021. And year over year from last year, they've doubled. And it's unbelievable. Every year, Ethereum's gone up, I think, what, 200% every year, something, 120%. It's un unbelievable. So if you're interested in crypto and blockchain, and, uh, you know, a lot of people are, NFTs are extremely interesting. Just the one thing I will say is it's all about who you associate yourself with. It's all about who who you're in it with because there are tons and tons and tons and tons of crypto scams that yes those are real so doing the right thing being with good people trying to deliver value not extract and siphon as many dollars off is the most important thing in the crypto space because once you tarnish your name and people know that it's you that did something that was wrong you're done forever it's over i mean that's on that's that's permanently on the ledger i mean permanent so your reputation is over. So just be careful, do your research, do it for the right reasons. And um, you could ha probably have tremendous success. So really, really amazing. So speaking about crypto, there was an interview today on uh, 
the podcast, uh, My First Million, uh, which is with um, uh, Sam Parr um, and, uh, sorry, Sam Parr, oh, and Sean Purry. Uh, It's a great one. It's called My First Million, MFM. And um, they talked to Ryan Breslow. Who's Ryan Breslow? Ryan Breslow is the founder and, well, formerly until a couple of days ago, CEO of a company called Bolt. What's Bolt? So uh, if you've ever gone to a site, uh, an e-commerce site and tried to check out and you're on your phone maybe and it said you get all, you know, you find what you want, you get all the way to the end and you got to type in your first name, your last name, your credit card numbers. There are an enormous, by far in any area of the, of the customer journey, it's the biggest drop off by far where people end up leaving the site and not following through the checkouts at the cart where they got to fill in all this stuff. So what can you do? There's a bunch of Shopify stores and Shopify has a payment system that says, oh, okay, you've used, you know, this payment method, another Shopify store, you know, you could do a one-click checkout and, you know, for this Shopify store, or if you're in the Shopify ecosystem, but the whole bolt thesis is that the internet and the e-commerce internet is so much bigger than what's happening with Amazon, right? Amazon's going to use Amazon, right? Amazon has a one, uh, you know, one-click checkout and it's just boom, it's easy, right? Shopify is the same thing, but Ryan took the approach of this is so obvious that that uh, if we can get everything that's outside of these two forums to use Bolt, which is a one checkout for all these independent companies, because there's so many e-commerce companies that aren't on Shopify, that aren't on Amazon, right? They are probably also, but they're also elsewhere. That each company that joins, you have your card information saved. And anybody who uses Bolt ends up being a part of that massive catalog of companies that ends up creating its own massive ecosystem of all the e-commerce sites outside of Shopify and outside of Amazon. It's genius. I mean, every e-commerce that is outside of those two, and then they use Bolt, that if you go from one random site to another random site, but they both use Bolt, one-click checkout. So in case you've missed it, he put a uh, tweet storm out. Uh, this past, uh, I don't know, it was a couple of days ago or something. And it was, it just like was really, really loud on Twitter. And uh, the day later, he ended up stepping down and being chairman. People thought he was fired. Um, and in case you didn't know what he did, just a little background. You're going to listen to it now. It's about a, you know, maybe like a nine minutes or a few minute segment uh, that, uh, he basically put a Twitter thread out that Stripe and Y Combinator, two of the most beloved institutions in Silicon Valley that you never hear a bad thing about are actually the mob bosses, the gatekeepers, that the Carlson brothers are not good people, that they play dirty. And if you know anything about Stripe and Y Combinator, if you just think of it right now, you're like, oh, they're great. I want to be in Y Combinator. I want to be a part of Stripe. Everybody loves, everybody's invested in Stripe. Well, he blew that up and said, hey, that's not how it is. Um, here, take a listen. This is amazing. Cool. And, and so let's talk about this Twitter thing. So you came out the other day and you, you basically said, look, um, you're like 
Bolt, uh, you know, we, we've become successful now, but it wasn't uh, without kind of some, some challenges. And there's like the normal business challenges. And then there's sort of the like the challenges of the powers that be. And in Silicon Valley, there's two kind of like very powerful. And in, in most people's minds, you I think you picked a fight with people that very few people have bad things to say about Y Combinator and Stripe, right? Stripe is probably like the most beloved startup in Silicon Valley, respected, beloved, whatever. And, uh, and YC is also, you know, the most powerful sort of like a brand, you know, it's like basically if you're going to pick on a college, you pick on either Stanford or Harvard, if you were going for the top and, uh, and you basically told a story about them being the mafia. And so I want you to kind of quickly, uh, can you quickly bullet point the, the, what your argument was for people who aren't nerding out on Twitter and aren't seeing it? Cause this, the audience we have here is not going to have seen it. So bullet point that. And then I got some questions. Again, this is MFM. Yeah. My so personally. the point is. My right. motivation here was to open people's eyes to what goes down in Silicon Valley, where it's not all sunshine and rainbows. It is very fierce, and there's fierce competition, and there's also games that are played with powerful institutions and you know groups of people who Sam, uh, you know help here. each other out. And so, if you're starting a company, especially in payments, you've likely failed. There's, you know, the only ones that have been as successful have been internationally. Um, and we probably should have failed five times over with investors pulling out of term sheets when we were about to run out of money. And so we, I'd say Bolt almost didn't exist because of the powers that be, the powers that be, and... You know, I think there are a lot of other companies that would have existed today if it wasn't for the powers that be. And so, you know, now I don't blame these institutions. Okay, but but well, I, you're, you're, I, I, I don't know if you're doing this on purpose to be kind, but you're kind of being vague. Is so it fun. possible that you, like, what does institution mean? And gain, are you able to, like, actually... Well, let, let's it, separate out, right? There's there's fair, fair uh, you know, fair business games, which is like, we're competing against somebody. That's fair. They can compete with us fiercely. There's um, investors just deciding uh, this space is too competitive, or Stripe's going to win. I'm just going to I'm just going to back away, right? So perception thing. That's kind of like nobody would say that that's unfair. Talk about the specifics of what you felt was unfair, or where you know some some uh, some there was some heavy handedness to it. Yeah. So when we would be pitching investors and get interested. They'd say they want to invest. And then they would talk to somebody at Stripe, someone related to Stripe, and either be told they can't invest or they shouldn't invest. Or somehow the conclusion was they were dissuaded from investing. But how do you know that that's what happened? Right? They might just come to you and say, we're not told me. The Stripe would always come up somehow in that conversation. So many of them told me directly, other investors say directly, I got a call by Stripe and they told me I can't invest in you guys. Is that bad though? I mean, what if they, if they were already an investor of Stripe, I, I understand like that. I have a conflict of interest. Right, yeah. but you know, Stripe has like all the big names in Silicon Valley invested in them. <laughs> and so they've intentionally put every single, you know, tier one firm on their cap table. And they even stuffed them with small checks. They're like, everybody's on their cap table. Right? And so, you know, for, 
and then they say you're conflicted out, right? That's a competitor of ours. You're our shareholder. Don't right, exactly. And I didn't even, you know, consider ourselves a direct competitor at the time. But I think they're very guarded about anything in their periphery. So I've heard the same story from companies, you know, doing card issuing. I've heard the same stories from companies doing subscription payments. And then Stripe would roll out their own product next. So it's almost as if they have these feelers out, anything that's tangential, they make sure that it doesn't get off the ground, and then they go and build it. Um, and so... Is there any is, is there any side of you... So the way that you're phrasing it, and it, I would like to figure out what, what my opinion is, I don't have an opinion yet, is, is like, that's unethical. But one maybe could argue and be like, well, that was just a savvy strategic move right. to like get everyone on board. And, you know, that's just like, that's just like, that's a, that's fair. Is, uh, do you, do you see that side of it at, at all? Or do you think that like the way they went about it, their intentions were, the intentions matter here. Yeah, so. yeah. I've never told a single investor, you can't invest in somebody. Right. And so to me, like everything is fair competition. And if someone wants to invest in a company tangential to me, I tell them, go for it. We've even invested in tangential. I've invested in tangential. I think, you know, innovation is good. I have a very long-term perspective. So when you're calling investors, you can't invest in this company. Like even if they're not on the Stripe cap table, it's investors too that are not on the Stripe cap table. To me, that's just not how I would do business. And I also want found the next generation of founders to go into building with an eye, their eyes wide open. Because I invested eight years of my life into this business not knowing about the games that go on. Right. And so the most important thing I'm exposing here is if you're coming to Silicon Valley, you have an idea, you're quitting your job, putting a lot on the line, like get ready for war. Like it's, it's, it's serious. And there will be people who do not want you to exist and you're going to need to be ready to battle that. And so one of the things you say is that, which is they basically hurt our ability to fundraise by telling the first they, they, they kind of played good good game theory, right? They, they got every every big investor to get a little piece of Stripe because every investor wants a piece of Stripe. And then they said, cool, now you're conflicted out of investing our, our competitors. Okay, yeah. Some might say that's that's shady. I personally, just I, I'm an investor in you, right? I'm a fan of yours. I personally would just say, okay, there's nothing unethical about that. You may not like it, but that's competing. And it's like a, it's a strategy. It's, harsh, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a harsh strategy. Okay, fair enough. In the same way that like, I don't think it's cool that Mark Zuckerberg just copied stories or whatever. I don't think that's like, you don't get bonus points of respect from me, but I also don't think you did anything illegal or crooked, completely crooked, right? That's, that's, you copied yeah, something that was copyable. Okay, fair enough. The second Probably. thing you said is that they, that YC, which has a huge stake in Stripe, um, controlled, they own Hacker News, and that on Hacker News, people would be posting about Bolt, it would get some play, this it would go really up the really ranks. Really but that somehow there's some, you know, editorial shenanigans behind the scenes where all of a sudden the post about Bolt would disappear or get deranked and then a post about Stripe would be up higher. And so you posted some examples of that. Now, that's that's, I think I think that's the summary of what you said. Uh, as that was happening, did you, uh, is that a suspicion or you're like, I know that that's what I'm happened? I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Um, you know, this, we had a, some posts, one in particular, that... You know, I'd written catered to YC audience. It was an unraveling of how we do fraud detection better and guarantee it with your payments, which was radical and new at the time. 
it had organically gotten to number one, held there. We had a ton of comments on it, just like very active people, very interested. You can go read all my comments. And then Stripes post, I don't know if it was there before. It seems like they said it got posted technically before. But anyway, Mathers got to number one. They're starting to rise. And ours just started to fall and then disappeared. It's like CNN. And so I don't know if it was editorial. There's also this down vote functionality. And so you can also just have a bunch of your employees going down vote or have a bunch of your friends. So, you know, whatever it is, they're able to get us off of there pretty quickly. The, the guys who started Stripe, the Collison brothers, I don't know them, but they seem um, from the outside like good dudes. Do you think that is that, do you know, and is that a, is that a character characterization that you challenge? Yeah, I mean, I'm, that's exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, let's, they don't meet my standards for good dudes. Uh, and so, you know, good dudes is not what you say publicly. It's what you do privately. That's what he says. What do you think? Ryan, by the way, before you just say, oh, he's full of shit, whatever. He's built multiple companies over a billion dollars. Uh, I think Bolt was last valued at 14 billion. No one even knows the name. Um, they're massive, just a complete real operator. Um, I think he's part of carbon. I mean, just, he's really a sensational founder, CEO, operator. Now he's the executive chairman. So this ripped through Twitter uh, big time because nobody has ever, ever said anything bad, really, like, or controversial with Y Combinator and definitely not Stripe. They're like the most praised company ever. Best startup ever. What they did was, and, you know, I, I'm curious to see what you think of this, what you guys think of this is, is it unethical or is it a good strategy where pretty much all the top VCs, all the top investors in um, Silicon Valley and, and elsewhere, probably New York, were at, were given equity in Stripe. Stripe basically went to every single top tier VC and everybody wanted to be in Stripe. They're massive and got everybody on the cap table. So then anybody who does something differently or, or like in terms of like a comp competition to their product, like Bolt and, and other ones, they are unable to raise money, at least from really top institutions, because it's a conflict of interest. Now, it's probably just a, I think it's just a dirty tactic. You know, it's legal. Um, but uh, his series of tweets um, is just remarkable. And uh, he also talks about how, you know, basically the day after he tweeted, he became executive chairman and stepped down as CEO. And everyone's like, okay, he was obviously fired or something. But he talks about that wasn't the case. It just, they were playing this for a year. And he's like, let's just do it. And he did it at the same time and didn't care what people thought and wanted people to interpret it themselves. But it just, this is so relevant to right now, which is the hacker news part, the censorship. That's what it is, the censorship. He would have, hacker news is huge for tech, uh, you know, startups and things like that. I mean, everybody in Silicon Valley in the tech world will see anything that goes to the top of hacker news. And essentially he was, pretty much censored off of there, whether it's 
from Y Combinator directly who owns Hacker News or all the investors and their friends getting them to downvote to bring it all the way down and upvote the Stripe because they have a financial interest in Stripe and don't want Bolt to succeed. Yet he still got it to a $14 billion company. It's unbelievable. If you're on the pod, it's going to be a quick break right now. If you're on YouTube, uh, we're going to keep going. Uh, but it's on going. If you're on the pod, we're back. Um, Ryan is uh, is an unbelievable, unbelievable executive. And his Twitter account is, um, let me get it for you. It's, um, so Ryan Breslow, uh, executive chairman of Bolt, has the Twitter thread about the Silicon Valley, Valley tech mafia which seems to be true, but you make your own decision. His Twitter handle is at the Ryan King. So the Ryan, R-Y-A-N King, K-I-N-G. If you want to go check it out, it's awesome. Awesome. And again, that was uh, uh, Sam Parr, Sean Purry from uh, My First Million, the HubSpot Podcast Network. Um, It's called, Did This Man Just Expose the Silicon Valley Tech Mafia? Ryan Breslow, founder of Bolt. That was from today. Just an interesting issue um, and, and and important. So, all right, what do we have next? So next, so before um, I became a, whatever you call creator, um, basically just content uh, creation, you know, making the pod, making the video, um, doing a lot with no code, you know, with Glide, Adalo, Bubble, Builder, a builder had an interesting article out today about combining Web3 with no code, which is really similar to the, the Creator project. If you haven't seen that, um, Creator is a decentralized platform for no code, smart contract development um, and platform development. Uh, pretty cool. Um, there was also some other fundraising that was neat. Um, uh, I think it's Metify, I believe, was today that uh, basically you can monetize your API calls. Uh, it's unbelievable. There was another one that was just like that, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting off topic here. But anyways, before all this, like I was saying, I was an accountant and accounting sucks. I hated it. I, it sucked. I did it because I was told if you do accounting, you always have a job. It's what my dad told me and, and maybe it's true, but it sucks. And basically there's this phenomenal article uh, that came out today from The Verge uh, called Overtaxed. Busy season is here, but some public accountants aren't. Uh, by Elizabeth uh, Lopato. Uh, her Twitter is at M-S-L-O-P-A-T-T-O. And uh, what she basically writes, and I have some highlights here, um, is the great resignation has come for accounting and public accounts. People who help many clients per documents and are unhappy probably. That was my words. As opposed to the inter- internal accounts at a specific firm who work only on the firm's financials, have been feeling the pain. We've probably been feeling the pain for many decades. In a normal pre-pandemic year, about 15% of staff leaves public accounting firms below the big four, PNY, PwC, Deloitte, KPMG. While there isn't any hard data, turnover seems higher, says Michael Platt of Inside Public Accounting, who's in the middle of doing surveys for the 2021 calendar year. Quote, Everybody we've talked to said their turnover rates in the last couple of months have been significantly different than in previous years, Platt says. Why is that? Because this is the beginning of busy season for tax, which is, I mean, there's also a busy season in, in September and, and you're basically at the office all hours a day. In fact, there's a schedule of someone they interviewed 
who study for the CPA, which is a lot of people because they make you get the CPA. You can't become manager. And it's, it's this whole thing. And he tells his schedule. And this is real. I mean, listen, I did it and other people did it. And this, this is real. He says, accountants who are also studying for the CPA exam have, have it even worse. Dion Scott, a Redditor who was working for PwC until April 2021, says that during 2020's busy season, he got up at 6.30 a.m., studied for the CPA exam until 8 a.m., and then had coffee and breakfast. Then he worked at his job until 4 p.m., and then he'd order food. And then at 6.30 p.m., he'd go back to work until 10.30 p.m. or 11 p.m. And quote, I'd go to sleep and do it again the next day, he says. Weekends, he aimed to work six hours on Saturday and tried to take Sunday off. I mean, are you serious? No wonder everyone's quitting. You're paying an average salary of, let's see, let's see what the average salary is. Um, over the last 20 years, oh, here we go. Over the last 20 years, the pay in accounting has stagnated, even as audits have gotten more arduous. Um, when Schroeder left public accounting in 2008 for academia, starting salaries for accounts were $52,000 in Indianapolis. In 2014, during his first term as a professor in the university, where he is now the PwC faculty fellow, he asked his students how much the starting salaries for accounts were. So again, that was in 2008. It was 52000 In 2021, what was it? Or no, sorry. In, in, sorry, in 2014, six years later. 52,000, the exact same, but yet they want to give more work. They want to overwork accounts even more. So I was at PwC and I was there in Bermuda for two years. Obviously I did it in Bermuda because being on an island is way better uh, than doing public accounting anywhere else in the world. It's a little more laid back, um, but it still sucks. Uh, but it, it was fun uh, and it was cool. Just like, you know, kind of my social life and being put on an island after school without knowing anybody definitely helps you grow. So I'd recommend that part. Um, the salary was stagnant when obviously, as we know, especially now with inflation, inflation, which no one thought as a good or bad thing and now know is obviously just a bad thing. It's the federal government taking money out of your pocket and then redistributing it however they please. Um, they say, okay, we're basically going to increase your hours. And then all PwC does is overwork people when more people quit. So when you quit, anyone who stays to try to you know be loyal and all that stuff, they just screw them over and say, oh, now you got to take over this person's job. And instead of working till 11 p.m., you just can't sleep for the next four months. I mean, it's brutal. It's crazy. And to be surprised, I hear here, this is from the article it says, you're working a lot of hours. You're not getting paid enough. And that causes people that have the skill set to sit there and say, I'm not being appreciated. And so basically there's been more fraud than ever before because people are doing worse jobs on the audits. They're understaffed. They're overworked. They're too tired. And so one of the quotes that, that the guy in the article that, they, that he said was, quote, if I was committing fraud before the pandemic, I'd view the pandemic as the greatest gift I could ever receive, right? Schroeder says, quote, because I could sit there and unwind the fraud and then blame it on the pandemic, which I feel like everyone's doing with everything. And it's like an automatic, just, okay, get out of jail free card. Oh, you know, I, uh, sorry, I stole, I don't know, 20 million in PPE from the government. I, sorry, it was the pandemic. Oops. 
Oh, sorry, I spent all my stimulus check in the strip club. It was, it was the pandemic. Let me let me go. Okay, and then you know, with our administration, like, okay, go ahead, go ahead. In fact, do you want to bring any friends over from other countries, and we'll move them right next to you? Do you want to? You you can pick anybody you want. It doesn't matter if they have an arrest warrant, if they're a killer, if they're anything. You can have them come over and we'll give them an arrest warrant. We'll fly. You don't need to pay for the plane ticket. We got the taxpayer dollars to do that. Don't worry about it. And you, they can move in. And, you know, maybe they can help you sell drugs. It'll be great. You know, preferably fentanyl. It's just ridiculous. Wow. So ironic. That's interesting. I put that together. You got all these illegals coming in. And all these drugs, potentially it's big pharma hiring more associates, I suppose. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Probably. But it's just wild. So people are over people are quitting jobs everywhere. And there's also these new jobs, such as what I'm doing right now, that isn't considered a job because no one it didn't exist before. Like the creator economy, economy which is you know, people on Patreon, on Podia, um, on, uh, uh, you know, people have communities on Circle, uh, people uh, have e-commerce stores on Glide or Dalla, people have marketplaces on Bubble that are making hundreds of millions of dollars. And uh, there's, uh, in fact, today there was a company that uh, does game coaching. So you pick the game that you like, and there's actually people that uh, are creating roadblocks or maps of their game that are like super niche to like Call of Duty, and you can buy them to, uh, you know, to have to know how to navigate around the, you know, I don't know the level better. And there's these niches, and these Patreon people are making a fortune. So a company created a gaming coaching company, and you find the coach that's minimum fifteen dollars an hour, and they train you on the game. But that wouldn't be considered a job. But yet there's people making over a hundred thousand dollars a year gaming well there's people making tens of millions of dollars a year gaming but then there's people that are good gamers that maybe you know couldn't cut it on twitch or, or youtube or something and are now gaming coaches that people are paying to train them for i don't know 25 dollars an hour 30 dollars an hour but that would probably not be considered employment i would guess so you know all the numbers are skewed it's all a mess um but i thought that was that was uh super super interesting and speaking about money and speaking about uh, crypto and um, uh, the Ryan Breslow, uh, who, we, who we just heard from Bolt, um, he's an uh, he's very very well respected and has been very successful. Now, I'm not saying he's right about everything at all, but um, he definitely has a very good track record. And so um, he talks about DAOs. What are DAOs? They're Decentralized autonomous organizations. And there's been thoughts that those, so you might be familiar with the DAO that um, <laughs> that tried to buy the constitution, which by the way, this is an amazing story. They tried to purchase, they basically, they said people can donate any amount of money. It wasn't really well thought out. And they raised like, there was like, I don't know, $30 million that was put in this thing to win the, the bid for the constitution. And, um, and basically what happened was, is of all people, someone outbid them who was the guy, uh, what's his name, the billionaire who was in the, the controversy with Robin Hood of, uh, you know, Wall Street bets uh, with, um, with GameStop. 
and he's the company, uh, whatever hedge fund that Robinhood sells its data to and basically got Robinhood to not allow people to trade so that they can over leverage it and screw these people. And he's the one who got the, of course, that's the guy, the douchebag billionaire is the one who got it instead of the Dow. But the whole thing with the Dow, and you'll hear here in a second, Ryan say, you know, uh, how they're going in his own words, change the world. Um, why it's such a big deal. And uh, if you don't know anything about DAOs, we'll talk about it in the future. But um, this is just a little uh, insight into um, Ryan uh, talking about how DAOs could change the world. I like it. So let's give, uh, I like that idea. I think that's a good one. I've, I've said this for a while, which is that uh, like venture, uh, investing is going into like a couple big categories, I think. I think there's like, the big brands that are like, you know, their, their stamp of approval means like a lot for you, whether they're good or bad investors don't really matter. They're like the Harvard Stanford's of the world. That's Sequoia, YC, Andreessen, whoever else, uh, benchmark, whatever. And then there's niche specialists that are like, Oh, I know robotics better than anybody. And so I'm going to see all the robotics companies and help them. And even if they get a Sequoia to invest in them, they'll also want the robotics expert in the deal. And then the last one is basically like venture services, which is, can you serve the founder in some way? And so if you can help them raise their next round, uh, I think that's a, a, a smart way to basically get yourself into the right companies. As long as your, as long as your filter is pretty good. Uh, all right. What else you got? Give us another idea. Well, I think DAOs are going to change the world. So, um, and continuation of, uh, of the spirit of investing in VCs. There need to be more VC DAOs where you invest in things as a DAO. And why is a VC DAO better than uh, a normal, you know, either individually investing or starting a traditional fund? Why is it, why is a VC DAO better? Because it relies on the collective intelligence of a group. I think uh, it's transparent in terms of how it makes decisions. Uh, I think you can raise capital. Uh, more publicly, and I think your actions are more kind of on a public record. Um, so, you know, I, and frankly, the best reason is I think if you're an up and coming aspiring investor or VC, it's way easier because you don't have to spend five years building relationships with LPs. You can start a public track record investing within your DAO, and that track record will, you know, talk for itself and attract more and more more and more people so basically you can essentially right now you can only invest in companies uh, if you are an accredited investor for the most part well now there's republic the website or the marketplace republic where now and then there's also what is it fundrise with real estate where even if you're not an accredited investor you can um uh, you could pool your money together, you know, 20 bucks, 100 bucks, and you can start owning these companies where before you'd have to either have a net worth over a million dollars or you make over $250,000 a year, which is such a small group of people. But basically that says, okay, if you make over 250000 a year in salary or even a million dollar net worth, then we know you're an accredited investor. Like you're, you're allowed to now, you can now invest. Now it's okay, which is, which is basically the government saying, listen, this is just some arbitrary rules and you can't invest until we just say you hit these numbers. Otherwise you don't know what you're doing. 
um, it's even the playing field. And so DAOs uh, being decentralized allows people to form an organization based on these uh, these rules that are decided by the group that cannot be changed unless the people who own those tokens or own that platform, another way to say it, um, agree to those changes. So in fact, what I would recommend is there's an unbelievable um, article that was written this week uh, by the great Packy McCormick uh, um, from Not Boring, uh, talking about um, a company called Brain Trust, a marketplace brain, uh, called Brain Trust, which is one of the first Web3 marketplaces to, um, to kind of do well, to kind of show what it's like to compete against the web twos and it has to do with freelance it's a freelance marketplace for technical talent and so it compares a lot to to upwork and you could check out um not boring uh packy mccormick the article is called uh, capitalism fighting capitalism and uh essentially it's saying okay this is the first time we're seeing a web two platform like upwork or fiverr go against brain trust which is a web three protocol right so there's a lot of behind the scenes smart contracts there's a lot of autonomous stuff, the, the payment distribution. Uh, they have a token uh, that's you know on Coinbase called Brain Trust, which I think is BTRUST or BTRST. Um, and it's owned by the freelancers and you don't get a fee taken out. So I think on Upwork, they take money from, they kind of increase. The whole point is that a lot of marketplaces believe that the higher take rate that you have is a success, but you're really making customers less happy. You're taking more money. You're actually ruining the potential for long-term success of that marketplace because you're extracting as many dollars as you can extract in the shortest period of time, as opposed to thinking the most long-term view, which is you want to take the least amount so then you can get um, the largest marketplace possible and basically block out all the competition in the future. But I think it was Fiverr saying, hey, we increase our take rate. So we ended up making more profit this year to like 200 million. And, you know, that was a success, but they don't say, Oh, well now everyone's pissed off. And they're going to go elsewhere. So again, it's capitalism fighting capitalism to learn a lot about web three crypto. We're going to talk a lot about a lot about web three and the creator economy uh, is going to be a huge focus of this because this is the first time ever that it is very, very real that you watching this can do create a podcast and make $85,000 a year talking about Star Wars and being the expert on that or having a patron or, or, or managing a community that loves um, baseball cards. Or maybe you go to bubble.io and you create a marketplace, um, you know, without any technical experience whatsoever. And you end up creating a platform that like Airbnb, uh, but uh, like hip camp, Airbnb, uh, basically Airbnb for camping. Um, there's also, uh, an unbelievable platform called dumpling. Uh, what's dumpling dumpling is essentially if you, if you order food from, uh, Instacart or something, or if you're somewhere else in the world and you use another version of that, uh, or another delivery service, you're at the mercy of Instacart dumpling actually is a e-commerce storefront of grocery ordering where you actually own that storefront and you know, you manage the fees and all that stuff of people ordering through you and you create like your own small business. And then you work with the grocery stores and then figure out the markup and all that stuff on your own. Like it's your own company. So dumpling empowers individuals to be like an Instacart on their own. It's unbelievable. And I will give in other episodes, 
how many people are, are just crushing it on, you know, doing uh, educational courses on like Maven, uh, which have incredible founders. And one of my good friends um, was a part of that. Uh, and then you have, you know, Podia, you got, you have, you have millions of people or hundreds of thousands of people making lit or you probably don't even know the, the, the tool Kajabi. Why? Because they never raised money, but yet they've paid creators like a billion dollars out in payments for educational courses. They have like a white label app and people are monetizing, you know, how to create a podcast, how to create a YouTube channel, um, like with Casey Neistat, which is on, uh, um, uh, what's the educational site of for creators, uh, was a minute, uh, dot com or, um, what's it called? Shoot. I forget. It's awesome. But Casey Neistat, one of the biggest YouTubers has a class there. Um, man, I forget. Uh, I'll think of it. I'll think of it. Um, but there's a, there's a bunch, a bunch of sites, um, and, uh, a bunch of platforms, whether it's education, whether it's, you know, selling goods or services or coaching, um, or art, uh, you know, uh, my girlfriend does, does art lessons with, with a Patreon, um, creator who basically shows lessons on how to sketch or how to draw people. I mean, this is, you want to be more niche than ever. Like you could be the foremost expert on, you know, how to, you know, speed read a book or something like that, or how does, how to, how to live a stoic life. I don't know. I'm looking at the Ryan holiday daily stoic books. That's why I said that, but it's very real that you could do that. So if you hate your fucking job, think about what do you like to do? Do you like to write? Do you like to paint? Do you like to create digital art, like graphic design? Well, that means you can then create an NFT. That's a digital, you can make a collection of things, you know, like the board Ape yacht club and you draw a cool picture and Hey, you don't know what the world's going to think. And you put it out there and boom, you get paid for ETH. And it's like, oh my God, look at this. I have a little business going. You just have to take that jump and do it. But if you're not, and you're complaining that you can't do it, it's literally because you're not putting the effort of doing it. It's hard. Like for me to set this all up is difficult. Like the podcast, the YouTube video, and then being in front of the camera just is weird. And when I asked a lot of people to be on the pod, a lot of my friends said no. And even when I was recording this for the first time, I was like, damn, it, it is scary that everything I'm about to say and, and do, you know, is about to just be put on the internet. I'll be there forever. Everyone's gonna be able to see it. What if I say something stupid? Oh, wait, I say something stupid all the time. Uh, you know, what if something gets misunderstood or who knows, but you just kind of do it and you're not the consumer. You're the creator as the creator. You just put it out there. Don't say, oh, you know what? I'm going to wait till it's perfect. Because if I wait till something's perfect, I'll never publish it. Just do it, publish, do it, publish. It's the consistency that matters so much more. The quality, of course, matters. But quality is basically in the eye of the beholder. It's it's up to the person or the fans. You are not the consumer. So to say, I'm going to wait till it's perfect. You don't have, who are you to have the audacity to say if something's good or not good? You're not buying your own content. So we're going to get a lot more into this in the future, but it's very real that you can live your dream. If you like writing, you can go to Substack or review or uh, button down. Uh, you, there's a million mil- newsletter sites that you can use email marketing. You can do mail or light. They have a great mobile app. You can have an email newsletter, all that stuff. Uh, Substack is $0 and you literally just have paid gated content for which ones you want to gate. And then you can also have a podcast there, which this is there. And People can pay for the, the gated content or just consume the free ones. 
Um, but think about it. You get a hundred true fans that are paying, you know, $10, $10, um, or a thousand true fans paying $10 a month, uh, which is the Kevin Kelly's, like I said, article, which you should read, which is a thousand true fans paying $10 a month, which is actually low. There's a lot of going for $20 and $30, especially like Stratechery, which is unbelievable. Um, you know, uh, Ben Thompson is, is the writer of that. Um, and the podcast they have and, um, is making millions and millions of dollars. Uh, but that's the extreme. You could do it with just a thousand people in this whole globe and with more people getting on the internet and getting from all over the world, consuming content, it's very real that you can, you could do it too. So if you're complaining, that means you're just not working. Um, so the last part, uh, is Elon Musk, uh, who I think is <laughs> obviously one of the most uh, prolific tweeters in, in the world. Um, he uh, said, I think Canadian drivers rule, which was about the Ottawa, which we just talked about. Um, but then he, uh, I think he called Biden a, <laughs> a damp wet sock in, in human form or something. Uh, basically about, so what happened? So Tesla, is the is basically the creator of the electric car revolution. I think we all know that. They sell more electric cars than anyone else. They're better than Ford, GM. We all know Tesla is the premium. Yet when Biden wanted to give you know, stimulus and, and all this stuff to car companies, well, they're not unionized, but GM is and you know, Ford is. And so they have this round table about electric cars and they're gonna get, the government's gonna give him money. And Elon Musk wasn't invited with Tesla. He wasn't even invited. It's just unbelievable. Jared, uh, just take a take a listen to this uh, to this report, and you can make your own decision. Has a Biden CEOs of General Motors and Ford yesterday? Let's talk about something else because Elon Musk had a very interesting response to that meeting with GM and Ford. What did he say? Well, he doesn't like that he wasn't at that meeting because he sells more electric cars than GM and Ford. So he wrote this on Twitter. give me musk it's crazy and so musk has been on a tirade which i think has been just phenomenal uh called biting a damp wet sock <laughs> i think that's a little i listen i know there's a lot of fans of biden and you think he's doing a marvelous job with crime and all that stuff so i definitely don't mean to uh offend you on that because i know he's doing phenomenal even though i think everybody knows that Everybody's been affected by crime or knows someone that's been affected by crime. 
um, and cares about what's going on here, but yet the mainstream news tries to get us to worry about like Ukraine, even though it really doesn't matter to us because we can't do it. And speak about Elon Musk, uh, this is the last part, which is, um, this is amazing. There's this 19 year old called Jack, uh, 19 year old Jack Sweeney, uh, who has a Twitter account where he follows Musk's private jet. Um, this is from, uh, Engadget. Uh, he basically, there's a way where you can, uh, if, if someone's driving a private plane, you can actually, I think, either call that um, uh, that that private uh, 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 airport, um, and you can get the uh, times of when planes are taken off and whose plane it is. So if it's Elon's plane, and where and where it lands, and so he tracks Elon Musk where he lands, and Musk wants to take him down or or you know to be private because he doesn't want to be followed. And Jack's like, okay. I'll take down the Twitter account, Elon Jet. It's Elon Jet. That's the name of the Twitter account that tracks all of Elon's flights. And he's like, for $50,000, Jack wanted 50. And Elon said that he'll think about it. So it's unbelievable. I mean, this is just like a, a small, funny way of like, of a creator economy hack of what you could do. Um, and tons of people follow Elon Jet. In fact, I'm looking at right now, it says landed in Austin, Texas, USA on January 26th. And it has the map of the picture with the flight number, the, the ground speed, the, <laughs> the distance, the track, everything. It has everything. Oh, it's just amazing. It's just amazing. So listen, the point of this, the point, the, the most important point is I think that having the freedom to say whatever you want I think is more important than anything else. If you, like I, like I said before, if you want, like, are you allowed to lie? This whole misinformation thing. Like, am I allowed to put up a video that lies or is, you know, maybe sarcastic, but you know, it's taken as fact, but it's not a fact. I mean, it's like the whole Joe Rogan thing. If you didn't see his Instagram post, which I was talking about to our producer Capo about this and you know, he was like, Hey, I thought it sucked because you know, the best thing about Joe Rogan is that he wasn't controlled and he could say whatever he wants. And I agree with him. I was like, Oh, wow. That actually, it's a good point. That's the best part. And he kind of gave in and said, Hey, I'm sorry because you know, Spotify is making me say, I'm sorry. So right now it's not a big deal. So, uh, listen, I, I, I think it's the most important thing is to listen to the opinions that are not yours. Um, in fact, if you just go to pursuit of happiness.substack.com, you can read my rant, uh, about this, uh, and I'm sure I'll talk about it a lot more, but for all the, all the Rons out there that say, we need to control what you think. We, um, we tell you what to put in your body and what not to put in your body and all that bullshit. Like, dude, fuck off. Like, like if you want to put something in your body, go ahead and, in fact, like this Ron character, my friend who I'm, who I'm talking about, who disagrees with all this, I said, will you come on the show um, after you get your 20th booster? Because he said, he said something to the effect of, <laughs> I would take, I would talk about, oh, you're on the, you know, you trust the Sackler family more than anything. And he's like, I will take 20 boosters if I have to. He's got, and as you know, to maximize profits, which Big Pharma needs to do, or what every company does is they're going to come out with as many vaccines as possible or as many shots as possible to make as much money as possible. So he probably really will have the chance to get 20. And he's like, I'm going to get 20. 
They're protecting me. I'm going to get 40. What are you, out of your mind? You think they're doing this like, oh, we care about you so much. We want to give you 20 shots of an experimental emergency authorized, no long-term studies. And we'll tell you it's 100% safe. And if you question it, we're going to kick you off of everything. Just think. I mean, do what you want. You know, it's not right or wrong. It's just like, are you allowed to question something? I think you should be able to. And if, you, if you're not allowed to question something, should you think about why you can't question that? I mean, I do, but, you know, you're allowed to do whatever you want. So, well, I appreciate you guys listening or watching the first episode. Um, we're going to have uh, some guests from uh, some OnlyFans, the 0.1% of OnlyFans, a lot of creators on the show, a lot of people with different point of views, people who disagree with everything I just said. Um, we're going to have, in fact, if you're listening to this, and I said this in my pursuitofhappiness.substack.com article, um, that if you want to have a healthy debate that anybody can come on and I've, I've got a, a LinkedIn message the other day from, from somebody who's like, if you're being serious about this, let's do it. So if you want to come on and have a legitimate debate about anything, let's go, no matter who you are. Um, and we'll do it in a healthy way. We'll do it respectfully. And we'll talk about the differing point of views because that is what freedom of speech is, at least in the U.S. You can do that. And um, listen, our, our promise to you is, is all the listeners is we're going to always tell the truth and, and we'll be wrong sometimes. And I'll be wrong a lot, but we'll always if we find out that we're wrong, we'll, we'll straighten it out and tell you that we're wrong. And I'll be wrong a lot, a ton. However, we will always ensure that no matter what we say is going to be based in what we believe to be the truth. And that could change given that sometimes you read reports that aren't true. Uh, but we do a really good job with our, our research and, and um, kind of independent studies to, you know, cross-examine and triangulate which, which, what is true and what is not true. Uh, we don't just say, oh, if this is flagged to not be a, you know, fact-checked by a company that, you know, may have someone on the board that's on the board of, I don't know, another company, like a pharma company is on the same board as a fact checking company. And so they fact check everything to sell more of whatever the big pharma. Is. I don't know. Listen, I'm not saying that's happening now. I'm just saying we don't want to have conflict of interest. It's, it's a good idea. Um, but hey, if you're Iran, you're allowed to believe whatever you want to believe. And and I think it's I think it's good that you put all your faith in the Sackler family. They've been proven to be very, very good people. They created the wonder drug Oxycontin. They're very, very good. Uh, they never hurt anybody. It's 100% safe and effective. Everything they create is 100% safe and effective. And you cannot question that. So anyway, I genuinely appreciate that if you listen to all of this or watched all of this, uh, that you can, did consume it. And, and if whatever, if you liked it, if you didn't like some of it, um, would love to hear back and we're going to, we're going to keep iterating on this and make it a lot better. So the first one, this is raw first format. If you want to see something else, um, we're going to keep, uh, cleaning it up, uh, you know, every single day. Uh, so again, uh, we appreciate, uh, you guys listening, um, you guys watching, um, our producer Capo is going to chop this up, make it all fancy and we'll put it out. It's probably not gonna be that fancy because he's never chopped a video, but he is now. And he'll get really good too, probably. And um, I'm just going to keep ranting and we'll keep going. All right, guys. We're out. Thanks.